Welcome to the Sport Feels Life podcast, where we're bringing you interviews with coaches and athletes at the top of their game. This is a community to support coaches, athletes, and fans who share a passion for making the world a better place through athletics. We are serving our community and providing a variety of resources to grow and win as a team in the sports we play and the life we live. We are your hosts. I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And we're so excited to bring you all things Sport Feels Life. Hey, Ashley, how's it going? I'm actually really stressed out right now about my fall volleyball team. Oh, no. What's going on? Sports funding at our school is cut by 75% because of the pandemic. And now our players aren't going to have the equipment and uniform updates that we were hoping for. That does sound stressful, but have you heard about Team Connections' Team Store fundraising platform? I think it could really help you out this season. No, I actually haven't. Tell me more. Well, not only can you use this fundraiser to boost team spirit during these crazy times, but you can also customize merchandise on top brands with your team's logo to earn cash back for your program without even having to send your players out door to door to collect money or worrying about delivering orders. The Team Connection Team Store is a COVID-safe fundraising platform that can make a big difference for your team this year. Oh, wow. That sounds like exactly what I need. How do I get a team store set up? Setting up your own team store is easy and free. Simply go to teamconnection.com and select the team stores tab to learn more. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. I'm going right now. George Plaster is a sports radio legend whose broadcasting career spans nearly 40 years. In the 1980s, he served as color analyst for the Nashville Sounds Baseball Club. He was also the play-by-play voice for Memphis State, Vanderbilt Athletics, and also the Nashville Cats Arena Football League. In the 90s, Plaster served as co-host of the television show Sports Talk. In 2008, George was inducted into the Distinguished Alumnus Hall of Fame and was named to the inaugural Talkers Magazine, Talkers 250 list highlighting the 250 most influential talk radio hosts in America. He currently hosts his own sports talk radio show, and we are so honored to have him on today's episode. Hello there. Hey, you're here. Yay. (laughs) Ashley, thank you. I'm sorry I'm such a technological idiot, and uh, (laughs) we've had to do this the way we have, but thanks for your understanding. Oh, my gosh. We all have to have a little extra grace and kind of understanding that during this pandemic specifically, there's going to be tech problems. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, let's just get into this right away. For our listeners who may not know you yet, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, maybe where your love of sports came from? This should be a very quick deal. Um, (laughs) You know, first of all, I'm a native Nashvilleian, grew up here, really wanted to stay here, but very early, like, when I was in high school, I knew that in one form or fashion, I was going to do what I ended up doing, which is getting in the sports broadcasting business. Uh, you know, I had a love of sports and I, you know, I used to say to myself, how cool would it be if you could actually have a job that doesn't feel like a job? And when, when things are going right, Uh, What I do for a living never feels like a job. I've always told people, if you dread Monday on Sunday, you're in the wrong job. And I don't ever dread Monday. 
yeah, that is just awesome. I mean, I can't imagine just the excitement and I also have a love of sports, so I'm happy to hear you found a career in that. So I guess, could you tell us a little bit more about your professional journey and how you landed where you are today? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, when I came out of school, which apparently was, you know, during the Herbert Hoover administration, or at least it feels that way these days, what you really had back then was uh, a deal where TV sportscasting was really the only game in town. It was either that or play-by-play. Well, I knew I was going to get into play-by-play, but at the time, sports talk radio really had not developed. There were only a couple of stations in the entire country that were doing any sports talk. One of them was a powerhouse, KMOX, out of St. Louis. The other one was 3WE in Cleveland. But there was sort of this belief in the radio industry that you couldn't do this, that sports talk wouldn't work, which was a total crock. And that myth sort of got shattered in the early 90s. And I was kind of, I was lucky. I'd just come home from being um, Memphis State. That Back then it was Memphis State. Now it's the University of Memphis. I was their football and basketball play-by-play announcer. Left that job and came home and really wasn't sure what it was I was going to do. And all of a sudden, the sports talk business just sort of dropped in my lap. And I was kind of the, you know, I was the first in Nashville to really do that. I got in on the ground floor of it, and 30 years later, here we go. That is pretty incredible. So now I'm curious, how has COVID changed your job as a radio host from pre-pandemic to now? You know, at the very beginning, I didn't understand what was going on and couldn't really figure out what the big deal was. Um, the Southeastern Conference Tournament was being canceled right in front of my eyes. I had gone to the session on Wednesday night, and ironically, Vandy and Arkansas were playing each other when they made the announcement. I really couldn't figure out what was going on. Didn't understand it uh, the way I do now, uh, the way all of us do now. Uh, I made the decision, though, that I was not going to change what we were doing on the air, that I was going to rely on my Rolodex, which I think is better than most people's, not out of anything great I've done, it's just simply that I'm older and, and I've come in contact with more people. And so I kind of went on the air one of those days during that week and just said, look, if, if you hear me get gimmicky, you'll know I've run out of stuff. But until that time, we're not going to get into gimmick sports. We're going to continue to do the things that we do. You know, I've been pretty fortunate. So far, for me, it really has not been all that difficult. Well, I think that's pretty smart not to go gimmicky because it keeps you so authentic on, on the air, for sure. I'm curious, though, speaking of gimmick sports, like what are your thoughts on the professional sports right now, the state of professional sports right now, and the implementation of the bubble model, and how sustainable do you think these bubbles actually are? You know, as we sit here right now, MLS is about to complete their tournament down in Orlando. Uh, they're, one, uh, they're the final game away from pulling theirs off. The NHL right now is in their qualifying 
flying around, which my predators are not doing very well at. But the, the good news is that in this bubble, they're having virtually no trouble. The NBA, which I thought would have a lot of trouble because I didn't think the players would behave well enough to make this thing work. I think the NBA's gotten that under control. And finally, I'm a huge baseball fan. I'm as big a Major League Baseball fan as you will ever run into. And as we sit here at this moment, they're in the best shape they've been in since opening day. The Marlins, uh, who had virtually a a team-wide episode of this, are now back on the field. They just completed a series in Baltimore. And the Cardinals uh, have been given the go-ahead, and they'll open a series tonight in St. Louis against the Cubs. So, knock on wood, for the moment, they're in the best shape they've been in now. That could all change in 30 minutes. But (laughs) at the moment, I'm more optimistic than I have been uh, about these bubble sports. I have absolutely no optimism when it comes to college football. They're all fooling themselves. You know, they're all releasing schedules. Good luck on that. Let's see how that all works out because I don't see the recipe for how that works. Yeah, it's definitely concerning on on all levels, I think. Um, You're obviously connected with lots of coaches and talk to them about their teams and how they're navigating these crazy times. Um, I'm curious what's been the general tone and approach to navigating this pandemic and still maintaining their team culture. Has anybody spoken to you about that? Yeah, I think what what is really going on, and the longer it goes on, the more I think this strategy works. You've got to roll with the flow here um, because you don't know what's coming. And if you've got a rigid set of rules, um, you know, you might find three days later that those rules make no sense and you got to go back to the drawing board. For all of Major League Baseball's screw-ups, I will admit that they have dealt with this differently than I probably would have. Uh, when the Marlins thing broke out and there were 18 players that tested positive, I think I probably would have said, that's it. Season's over. Have a nice life. We'll see you in April. But I think baseball was smart to say, wait a minute. We've just got to change gears on the fly. It's the same way in sports talk radio. If something breaks in the middle of your show that's more important than what you're doing you got to go with it and if it doesn't fit your schedule you know tough and and I think that's what coaches are coming to have to understand now there are a lot of other issues going on right now because players are making more demands than they have ever made and the climate is such that they're going to make some inroads in the next few weeks that colleges never dream they'd give in to you know I think that's what makes part of it so difficult is for a lot of us that are talking here and talking about athletes and coaches sports is our lives so to just have to deal with such dramatic changes in something that we've never seen before is so difficult Um, so George what do you think athletic directors and schools should be doing in order to navigate their sports even season safely and are there any schools that you think are doing it well and who do you think is doing it poorly? Mm, Quite a question. Let's start with the first part of it, the athletic director part. 
I've got a buddy, Chris Massaro, who is the athletic director at MTSU. I would claim that he probably is the most successful athletic director in the group of five, the group of five being the non-ACC, SEC, Big 12, uh, Pac-12, um, I don't know, which SEC, whichever one I'm missing there. Group of five really have a hard time. And Chris Massaro has done a better job than any athletic director in the country of getting the big boys to come play him. He's got a game scheduled on the books right now against Virginia Tech, where Virginia Tech is coming to him in Murfreesboro. And he and I talked several weeks ago about the fact this would be the first complete sellout of a football game in MTSU history. And I feel so bad for him, the fact that this game isn't going to happen. And if I'm an AD, I'm like, God, you know, what can I do? I'm trying to keep my my school afloat. The real answer to this is, I don't know what the athletic directors can do, but I think the one thing that they absolutely have to do is let the athletes know we are going to do everything we can to keep things as safe as possible for you. And in the meantime, what we're asking out of you is the obvious. You know, the frat parties can't happen right now. You can't be going to strip clubs. You can't be doing all the kind of stuff that get people in trouble in a pandemic. I use the strip club thing because every time you hear something in Major League Baseball, well, you know, a group of them went to a strip club. Well, duh, that doesn't work. You know, this is not the, the time and the place for that. And, and you know, it's been interesting to watch because finally Rob Manfred, the, the Major League Baseball commissioner, finally told the head of the Players Union, we're doing everything we can. You all have got to start behaving. And I think that's one of the messages the athletic directors have to get through is this is a two-way street. We've got to do everything we can to help you. And at the same time, You've got to help us help you. Right now, you're hearing a story out of Colorado State that's pretty disturbing, where it sounds like a football coaching staff basically told a group of players, you know, uh, don't tell anybody anything. If you test positive, don't tell anybody. Just keep coming out to practice. That's not going to fly. And there are going to be some coaches who are going to lose jobs over that kind of attitude. And that's where I feel bad for athletes that maybe they don't have a union to represent them, to basically say to an athletic director, here's what's going on and we're not putting up with it. That was a long answer that skirted probably everything you asked. No, I think you did a great job. You covered all of the bases. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important that people are putting safety first for sure. On that note, what is your opinion on the student athletes that are opting to sit out for their seasons, especially referencing like Pac-12 and Big Ten and all of that? Like, what are your thoughts on putting their safety first and should they be kind of penalized for scholarships and stuff like that if they choose not to play? First of all, I totally understand where the kids who decide to opt out are coming from. They shouldn't be penalized, and it'll be interesting to see 
what places try to penalize them because I think you've got lawsuit waiting to happen when that kind of stuff goes down. You know, to me, and I'm no scientist, but I watch all this stuff uh, just like you all do on the news channels. Football seems to me to be the coronavirus's best friend. You know, years ago when, when I was younger and I was a sideline announcer and you're, you know, five feet from the playing field, Football is a violent contact sport. And anybody who thinks those kids aren't going to get the coronavirus playing football are out of their mind. And so, you know, you're, you're basically throwing kids into the fire and saying, deal with it so we can get our TV money. And I understand the other side because the TV money is what is funding all the other sports. And if they're not able to get this TV money, college athletics is going to be in a world of hurt. And it's going to start in the lower tier of sports. You're already seeing some of this. Um, And I just hate it. To me, the solution, and there is no perfect solution, but to me the best bet is the hopeful news on a vaccine that allows college football perhaps to, to push back to this, maybe with a modified eight, nine game schedule instead of 12 and just make the best out of a bad situation and get as much of the TV money as they can. Yeah, that's a good point. I am kind of curious though, with certain teams like University of Connecticut, for example, canceling their football season, I feel like that was probably money motivated on their side because how could they afford to play? It costs maybe more to play than it would not to play for them. But schools that are part of Big Ten, Pac-12, those bigger schools that do depend on that TV money, they're probably not going to follow those footsteps. But how much does money really motivate these and, and not safety, these decisions? Well, sadly, it's uh, <laughs> it's total. Uh, UConn, I'll say this. I, I wasn't surprised by UConn's move at all. I had seen a story several months ago about how deep a hole they were in financially, even before the pandemic hit. And we actually had somebody on who covers UConn for one of the papers up there. This was back in, I think, early May. And you think about it. UConn right now has the most successful women's program in America, probably one of the few that might actually turn a profit in women's basketball. Their men's basketball has won national titles. You know, the revival of that program from the mid-80s on was pretty spectacular. Football has been kind of a tough deal and really has not it just hasn't taken off the way they would hope. I don't think they make the kind of money in football gate receipts that they need. And the whole UConn thing sounds like a mess. UConn, and I'll throw this one out there because UCLA appears to be in a lot of the same trouble. It would not surprise – I don't guess anything would surprise me right now given the, the, the state of the economics of those schools. It probably – you know, they're probably better off not playing this year. I mean, yeah, and then just talking about football and just what a large revenue generator it is for some of these schools, potentially losing that season. Um, So things are just changing so quickly every single day. Do you think that will give rise to some 
less popular sports or what do you think is the future ahead for just competitive sports right now? I, I think it's, it's pretty gloomy right now. And I'll give you a, for instance, you went to Arkansas and so you know how, how much basketball is loved there. That's the school that has been able to win a national title when Nolan Richardson was there. And when, when times are good in Arkansas basketball, you know, they're putting 18, 20,000 a night in Bud Walton. And that place rocks. It's a, it's a fabulous atmosphere. I really worry that if this thing goes so far as to wipe out a college basketball season after we've already wiped out an NCAA tournament, I really worry about that sport. You know, I mean, we worry about all of them. But if you lose the meat of two years in a row, whoo, how do you make that work? Yikes, that is a really good point. And, I mean, just losing a little bit of that competitive edge and just teams playing against each other for one year, that's tough for athletes to even stay in it and for fans to stay in it. I think sports will always exist. But, I mean, what lasting impact do you think COVID will have on sports one year from now versus five years from now or even as far as 10 years? Yeah, who knows? I mean, you'd have to have a crystal ball probably to really answer it. But here's one of the things that that scares me a little bit. I'm a sports nut like you all are. I made a decision to do this for a career. You know, it's a huge part of my life. I'm not saying it's a balanced life, but probably 90% of what I watch on television over the years has been sports. I worry that there are people out there that are not nearly as rabid about it as I am who forced out of sports for a while, come away going, you know what? I can live without this. I don't have to pay the exorbitant prices on tickets. I don't have to pay, you know, twelve fifty for a beer. The longer it goes on, the longer you don't have it, the more people start to say, you know what? I can do without it. And that's a dangerous thing to be putting into a sport or a, you know, an industry that needs gate receipts and parking and concessions and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, that's terrifying for all of us. I think just like the jobs lost across the board is sad. Oh, it's just the whole thing is sad. You know, I'm sitting here watching right now as we do this a replay of a game last night that I watched involving my favorite baseball team, which is the Atlanta Braves. It's just sad to sit there and look at an empty stadium on a night where it was a heck of a game won by a walk-off homer in the bottom of the ninth inning. And everywhere you look, it's just kind of sad. I hate it. It really is. And you brought up a really good point. You know, I'm, I was thinking in terms of sports from the perspective of a coach or an athlete and that desire, that competitive spirit, but bringing up the fan side and people not paying to go see games or realizing that they can survive without sports. It's just interesting how that would transcend because I think athletes are also fueled by their fans. And so if there's no fans, you know, it's what happens. Here's one thing that I think is pretty obvious. that's going to change the money that is being paid to coaches in particular in football on the division one level has gotten totally out of whack. Um, and it started years ago when Steve Spurrier cracked 
the one million dollar a year thing. Everybody was just like, "Oh my God, we're paying a million bucks now. We're paying, you know, four and five million a year, and nobody bats an eye to it." Well, what I think is going to happen: the coaches who have not already gotten theirs are in for a rude awakening, because I think that's one of the things you're going to see happen is the AD is going to show the coach the bottom line of operating this business and basically tell him, if you think I'm paying you $3.5 million a year to get to the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, you're out of your mind. You know, we're paying you $1.5, take it or leave it. And I think that's, that is one thing that is going to come out of this is that some of the ridiculous coaching salaries and for that matter, some athletic director salaries, some of this is going to stop and, you know, there's going to be a rude awakening for some coaches and they're going to have to somehow struggle to make do on 1.5 million a year as opposed to 4 million. Sounds really painful, honestly. It does. Okay. Let's, get the, <laughs> let's get the violin out. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's just ridiculous, but I hope that does change. Um, another thing that I wanted to touch on is just the news out of um, Texas Tech last night about uh, Marlene Stolings being fired because of a, abusive programming with, with their team culture. I'm curious um, what your thoughts are on that and and if you think that maybe it's this particular season of existence that has shed light on these kinds of like abusive team cultures. Yeah. You know, um, I've read the story and, and seen a little bit of, uh, of what's going on there. I, I was really fortunate when I first came out of college, uh, the, the luckiest, you know, the, the, the best thing that ever happened to me in athletics was meeting CM Newton. C.M. Newton at the time was Vanderbilt's basketball coach and later became the athletic director at Kentucky who hired Rick Pitino and then Tubby Smith in the late 90s. Coach Newton was at an older age. He was in his upper 50s, and he hired me as a 23-year-old to be the color announcer on his basketball games. And I don't think Coach Newton felt the pressure I think he had decided, I've reached an age, if they fire me, so what? But it wasn't win at all cost with him. Wonderful human being, kind of a second dad to me. Uh, very bittersweet moment two years ago that I spoke at his funeral. Um, he had to be rolling over thinking, my God, they couldn't get anybody better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my my real point to this is that he treated players really well with respect. Um, I just don't know if if college athletics has gotten to be so pressurized with the money that this kind of crap goes on more than we know. Now, on the flip side, what's going on is in recent months, the players no longer are feeling the fear. And they have said, screw it. We're going to tell people what's going on. And now you don't have any choice but to listen. And you know what? If it puts a stop to this kind of crap, 
then so be it. You know what? Because it needs to. Yeah, you know, in a strange way, maybe this has all just been a really good reset button. Yeah, there's a lot of resetting in a lot of areas. You know, and on the college level, what you've had, and in particular in the SEC, where it really gets out of control, is what I would call an arms race, where, um, you know, because Ole Miss built a, an 11,000-seat baseball stadium, then Arkansas says, well, ours has got to be 12-5, or Alabama says, well, nobody's bigger than us. And some of this has really gotten out of control. And I think that's the other reset button that's going to have to get hit is that people are going to have to start to say, you know what, you're just going to have to live with what you've got and you're going to have to count your blessings and be thankful for what you do have as opposed to constantly whining and complaining that we need more because Tennessee has more, Georgia has more. It, it, the arms race has gotten totally out of control. Agreed. It's kind of like I tell my kids, you get what you get, you don't throw a fit. Yeah. Now, in, in fairness, a lot of that doesn't trickle down. Some of the lower, you know, there, there's a there's a high-end district and then there's a low-end district. And both of you know what I'm talking about. You start getting into the minor sports uh, that are not able to generate revenue. And it's a much different deal. You know, they really struggle, the the methods of travel. Travel's another one, now that I think about it. You're going to see a lot less of this goofy stuff where, um, you know, Kentucky is traveling to Texas A&M for a volleyball game but won't play Western Kentucky, which is a bus trip down the road. You're going to see a lot more rational, cost-cutting kind of stuff as opposed to what we've got now, where we've got conferences all over Hell's Half Acre that don't make any sense. Right. Yeah, that would be interesting to see just kind of help close the gap in between these large, you know, dominant programs and maybe also help give rise to those schools that are kind of on the cusp of reaching that level of competition. And who knows, maybe that will be a change for I think one of my biggest disappointments in watching all this stuff is that nobody affiliated with the Power Five conferences ever says, for the good of the sport, we've got to lift up the little guy a little bit. We've got to help them because if we don't, they're going to go away. And this just in, one of the beauties of the NCAA basketball tournaments have been that the little guy – the public loves it when the little guy gets something done. Those are some of the great stories that have made that one of the greatest sporting events our country has. You know, what was it a couple of years ago when, what was it, Illinois-Chicago made the run to the Final Four? That was a great story. Yeah, everyone loves the rise of the underdog, and I think it's so relatable and inspirational. And maybe it just kind of goes back to that overly competitive mindset in those larger programs are so hungry to win that they don't care about knocking out schools that are maybe not as talented or, you know, have as many resources as them. The, the most disappointing thing to me that has gone on during this is the NCAA's complete uselessness. 
they've offered, they have brought nothing to the table. Mark Emmert needs to go away as the head of the NCAA. And we either need to get somebody who will provide some leadership because basically what they've done is just pass the buck and say, conferences, you're on your own. And so you've got the Big Ten telling you they're going to start on Labor Day. You've got the ACC telling you they're going to start one week later. The SEC is going to start September 26th. Not that any of this is ever going to happen because I'm not convinced it's going to. But if it does, it'll be the longest college football season in the history of mankind. Right. It's kind of also so confusing. There's so many different mixed messages and timelines that there's really no unified program. And I think it just leads to so much confusion as to what's going to happen. Everyone is kind of doing their own thing. Can you imagine being a football player right now and you're sitting there going, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be working out on my own? Am I supposed to be staying from people? I mean, I feel sorry for these kids right now because they, they're getting no guidance whatsoever. Yeah, that's definitely true. I wonder if you were an athlete right now, what would you be doing? I think there's a real shot that I would opt out. I also think there's enough smart aleck in me where I would be one of them pointing out some of the things that don't make any sense because I've never been shy about sharing an opinion. This just then it'll get you in trouble from time to time. But I, I don't know how I could justify right now playing. And maybe not at that age. It might not be that I'm worried about me getting COVID. But who else in my family am I hurting? You know, am I, am I going to lead to a grandparent passing away because of my selfishness? I don't know. I mean, God, there, there are so many issues. But I think mentally, I've kind of come to the conclusion that if I were a D1 football player, I wouldn't be playing. Yeah. I think those are all important factors that people need to be thinking about, not just if they're a sports athlete, but also just for humanity in general right now, just putting others before yourself and thinking about other people's safety and health. Um, thank you, George, for your time. This has been so fun. Listen, I've enjoyed it. Uh, enjoyed it. Y'all had great questions. I had no answers. <laughs> <laughs> you hey, you had all the answers. <laughs> hey, it's just like an afternoon of sports talk radio. Yeah. So, hey, how can people follow along with you if, they, if they're curious to listen to your show or find you on Twitter or something? Yeah. Um, I actually, I'm late to the party. I just discovered Twitter about a year ago. So my Twitter handle is GeorgePlasterTN. Uh, you'll get a lot of useless info out <laughs> of that site. Uh, I'm on the air uh, 2 to 4 o'clock every afternoon, Monday through Friday on 560 WNSR on the AM dial and 95.9 on FM. And for a lot of people who aren't in the Nashville area, you can simply go to our app, WNSR, the WNSR app. It'll come in clear as a bell all over the place. And uh, a lot of people do that. You know, I would love to have any of you tune us in, listen, call, whatever. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time, George. We've really had fun today.
This conversation was so much fun. It really was. George had such a realistic perspective on the way that the current pandemic will continue to impact athletics. Yeah, and thankfully he made it fun to talk about this topic that's really stressing so many of us out these days. Totally. It certainly is a wild time for sports. Well, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review so others can find us more easily. It means a lot to us and helps us get the word out. Yeah, and we're always looking for new stories to share here on our show. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tell us their story by nominating them at our website, sportfuelslife.com. Thanks for listening.